All right, we're about to get into it really fast today. Uh, a lot to cover in a short amount of time. And so, uh, so we're going to be in Genesis chapter 6, uh, starting in 13, I believe. Yeah, starting in 13. So you can go ahead and get prepped to, to jump into that with me. And then we're going to be starting where Joel ended last week. And so if you remember last week, it was the days of Noah and the wickedness that was in the world and kind of the craziness that was going on in the world at that time. And uh, one of the quotes was, yes, there are monsters, right? Yes, there are monsters out there. Uh, and our response is, you know, Romans 8, 38 through 39, which is where Joel ended. So I'm going to start there. This is Paul the Apostle speaking. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So you remember we ended there with a, an incredible encouragement that, yes, bad things happened, bad things are happening. There are spiritual forces that are horrific in nature, and our response is, in Christ we are untouchable in a sense. Amen? In Christ, we are impenetrable in a sense. Um, and and God, has, God has done something so powerful that we actually don't even need to be afraid of all, even, even if all the rumors are true, right? Even if it's the worst case scenario that you can imagine, we still don't need to fear because God is that strong and his covenant with us, we're going to be getting it, using that word a bit today, his covenant with us is that unbreakable. And so, uh, so I'm going to be introducing that today. You know, in this passage, uh, in Genesis chapter 6, is the first time that the word covenant is mentioned in the scriptures. And so, uh, and so covenant is an idea that it just pervades the Bible, um, both Old and New Testament. And so to have a, a good and a rich understanding of the gift of the gospel, we've actually got to understand what is meant by this kind of complicated word covenant. And so we're going to be getting into that and understanding a little bit better the, the, the nature of God's relationship with man, um, which can be summed up in covenant. And then a couple quotable, little quotes to start, uh, or just, uh, just little, little lines for you to, to memorize and absorb. So uh, one of the things is we can break our promises, right? We can break our promises, but we can't break his promises. Amen? Something to come back to. And then another thing is we kind of look at, you know, this, this really, Genesis has caused us to really be able to zoom out and just try to kind of take this, this grand view of history and what's going on. And uh, one thing I want you to take note of is he's restoring us, God is restoring us to the place where we can be what we were created to be, which is participators in and cultivators of his goodness, right? That was the original plan. Adam was put into the earth to do something, to participate with God. God likes community. He doesn't need it. He likes it. So let's go ahead and start in, uh, in 13 with the, uh, the flood narrative. And so I'll be getting into the flood a bit today. Uh, Brian's going to be preaching on, on the flood for the next two weeks. So, you know, I, he's going to be a lot more thorough than I am. Praise God. We all have our giftings. <laughs> So I'll just give you a little taste, and then he'll, he'll, he'll bring it home next week, Lord willing. So uh, verse 13, and God said to Noah, 
I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. All right. And so I feel like Joel did a really good job of just, just painting the picture for us, just the bizarre craziness was, that was going on at that time. The word corrupt means spoiled, ruined, rotted, destroyed. Like creation was all messed up at this time, right? That, and it necessitated this, this kind of massive response from God to just destroy everything and start over, right? So the world is a mess, and, uh, and it's filled with violence through them. And so I love um, just contrasting this with God's original intent for man, right? God's original intent for man was for man to participate with God, cultivate the garden, right? God created something good, and man is in the garden to bring more and more good out of what God had created because he wants us to participate with him. And, and, and what, what is man doing in the earth at the days of Noah? He's cultivating violence, right? What's coming out of man is violence, uh, which is wrong, cruelty, and injustice. And I don't think we can actually understand. Like, we think things are bad now. I don't know that we can understand how bad, when, when God says every thought in, the, in, in man's heart was just evil continually, right? I don't know that we understand. We get glimpses of it, right, with horrible things that we can reflect on in history, but I don't know if we really understand how bad it was. And so God says, all right, I'm going to destroy it. I've chosen Noah to be, uh, to, to be the person that's going to carry the human race forward. And he says in verse 14, make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it, the length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. So God's being super clear what he's going to do, and he's giving very specific instructions to Abraham, or to, uh, to Noah. Um, and he's going to make an end to this whole thing. So moving on into verse 18, and this is where we're going we're gonna to hang out for a little bit. But I will establish my covenant with you. Everybody say, establish my covenant. That phrase comes up. It's going to just keep coming up in the scriptures. Establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And so we're going to get into what, what is covenant. He says, I will make this covenant with you, Noah. Now I'm going to fast forward a little bit to what the actual covenant was, right? Because he's, he's saying here, I'm going to make a covenant with you, and then he, he stops. He doesn't go into any more detail about it. And then we, we, we've got to actually fast forward two chapters before he actually fulfills it. After they've already built the ark, they've already survived, they've already gotten out, then God blesses them, and then this is what he says in Genesis 8, verses 8 through 13. He says, Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant, there it is again, with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you. 
that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I've set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. So a couple things here. We're going to use this to start, kind of get a glimpse into covenant. Then I'm going to broaden it out with some other examples, right? So, so the first thing is, who initiates the covenant? God, right? That's very important, right? This is, it's not because Noah asked for it. You know, Noah's, you know, Noah doesn't know to ask for it, right? But God decides in his own sovereignty that he is going to make a covenant with Noah. I keep saying, do I keep saying Abraham? He's, I got Abraham on the brain. But if I say Abraham, just know I mean Noah. That corrects all my mistakes. All right. Except when I'm talking about Abraham, then I mean Abraham. Okay. All right. So, uh, so that's the first thing. God initiates the covenant, right? Um, it's a unique, this is a unique occurrence. It happens a few more times in Scripture. We'll get into that in a moment. But it's, it is God who initiates. Now, who is the covenant with? The covenant is with Noah. Who else? Wife, family, right? Who else, strangely enough? All the animals, right? God makes this covenant with everybody, everybody that's left. And uh, now let's think about Noah's sons. Um, just to get your, your, your brains turning this direction. God has already in advance made a covenant with Noah's sons. What did Noah's sons do to deserve to have a covenant to be made with them by God? They weren't born yet, right? So just, just a little taste, just a little taste of what's to come. Now, what, uh, what is the covenant? Well, in this case, the, the, a covenant can take different forms, but in this case, it takes the form of a promise. A promise to what? What? Sustain. Can you give me a little more detail on that? Sustain. Never destroy everyone the same way again, right? So there is a very specific, practical, tangible promise that God is making. Uh, and then what is required of Noah in this covenant? Silence. Well, that's because there's nothing, right? God's, God's not requiring in this case. Now, now, that's not always how covenant works, but in this particular instance of covenant, God is not requiring anything of Noah, right? It's just all God saying, this is my promise. And then what is the sign? The rainbow, right? Now, the reason I'm breaking this down is because this, this actually has a lot of characteristics of covenant that recur or that are recurring in other instances of covenant throughout the scripture. And what you can start to see are these really interesting patterns that emerge about how covenant works. And so, uh, so, so what is a covenant? So we're gonna go back to the, to the actual definition. So the Hebrew word is berith, berith. And it means, it's a, it's a special word. We don't really have a word in our language that contains the richness that this word contains for the Hebrews. Does that make sense? Like, we, we really don't. And so we kind of try, we take stabs at it. So treaty, alliance, a special contract, you know, these are all ways that you can start to approach what it is. Um, it can happen between God and man, and it can happen between man and man. We're going to really focus on, on covenant between God and man because that is special and unique and has all these ramifications for, again, the whole past and the whole future. Um, 
So, uh, so that's the basic definition, right? A special, I'll probably be referring to it as a, like a special contract or a special agreement, but very serious, right? Like, like serious as a heart attack. And so, uh, so elements of covenant, you know, there's, there are these different elements that you tend to see. And I'm, I'm cramming a lot in here because, uh, you know, I've, I've kind of been doing this, this study on it uh, for a while. And so it's the kind of thing that you're probably not going to get all you need from me just preaching on it for 20 minutes. But I want to at least give you kind of the tidbits of it so that your heart can start to grasp it and, and so that you can start to see this happening in Scripture and begin to use it to, uh, to increase your understanding of what's going on in your context. And there's a lot of resources I can give you if you want to come to me afterwards um, I can definitely point you to some really good resources to learn more about it. All right, so the elements that you generally see present in a covenant. Promises is the first thing. You see promises, right? Statements being made, commitments being made. And typically these are mutual. Typically it's not one-sided. These are mutual promises. Um, and in, in the case of God, you're talking about a superior um, making a promise to an inferior. And so God is the one who's defining the terms, Right? Um, and he's saying, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do these things, you're going to do these things. If you don't do these things, then these things are going to happen, right? Like that's a really common interaction that we see in covenant. But it, it is a, pro, a mutual set of promises. The second thing we very often see is animal mutilation or, or mutilation, right? Some, some sort of um, killing or disfigurement um, happens in the, in the course of it. And, uh, and we'll get into that a little bit further because there's a lot of significance to that. I mean, just this beautiful significance to that. Uh, the third thing is signs. We tend to see signs. There tends to be a sign of the covenant, whether that sign is God putting a rainbow in the, in the clouds or whether that sign is circumcision where that, that action has to happen for everybody or like building this heap of stones that kind of commemorates the agreement that was made. There's, there's generally a sign. And then it's often accompanied by feasting. So promises, mutilation, signs, and feasting. Does that sound like a party or what? <laughs> All right. So, uh, so there are four major covenants in the Old, Tes the Old Testament. Uh, the first is the one that we're, we're looking at here, which is the, Noa the Noahic or the Noachic covenant, right? And it's this, it's this fairly unique covenant in which God says, I'm going to do this, and there's nothing really required of the other party, right? It's, it's pure promise. Uh, the second is the Abrahamic covenant, which you're, I'm sure you're all familiar with. And that Abrahamic covenant is God once again saying, hey, hey Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to do this with your seed. I'm going to do all these things. And then you need to do these things over here. And if you do these things, then I'll bless you. And, and it's, it's a very, uh, um, you know, there, there's, there's multiple components and agreements that are happening on both sides. Then you've got the covenant with Israel, which is, uh, you know, the mark of it is like the law of Moses, right? God's saying, hey, I'm going to bless you in these ways as long as you keep these statutes and commandments, and, and it's all going to be good if everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing, and we know how, how that went. Uh, and then there's the Davidic covenant, right, where there's, uh, where it's, God, it's God's covenant with David, a man after his own heart, and again, there's things that David needed to do, there's things that God was doing, and then there's the blessing that's promised in response to those things. Now, if we do a 10,000, if we zoom out and do a 10,000-foot view of covenant, what you see throughout Scripture, um, I was thinking about this uh, just, uh, just a little while ago, like the one, the one thing 
that you could say is consistent over the course of however many years of human history is one word, failure, right? Like no matter how you cut it, like whether you're looking at the Bible or you want to read history books, right? The one thing that is, we have these high aspirations, we want to do great things, we fail. We hurt each other, we kill each other, we lie, we cheat, we steal, right? We have great intentions, maybe, sometimes. Um, and, and that is what the, the biblical record is just rife with that pattern, right? Like, you can't read the Bible and not understand and come away with an understanding that, that the thing that is being maybe most impressed upon us is that humans fail. And so throughout the history, what we see is God is faithful to his side of the covenant, right? God never is never unfaithful to his side of the covenant. He always does what he says he's going to do. Man is never faithful to the covenant for long, right? There are always these moments where it's like humans say, okay, man, we got you, Lord. We're going to do it this time. You know, we're going to get back on the horse. We're going to make it happen. And, you know, just wait 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, right? And, and we're back in the same condition of rebelling against God. Um, and so, uh, so that's, that's constant. Um, and so what we see being shown through the scriptures and then even shown as an aspect of this idea of covenant is that, is that man is unable to keep his side of the agreement, right? Um, because of sin, because of something that is in man, something, something wrong with him. He's unable to uh, keep, keep the covenant. And so then God often has to come in and do man's side for him, right? Like we see that. And I'm going to give you an example of that. So uh, Genesis 15, 9 through 21, I'm not going to actually read it because we don't have time. But, uh, but this, this is just a striking example of, of where we begin to see something prophesied in the Old Testament that you're going to see echoed in the New Testament. So Abraham in, uh, in, in Genesis 15, 9 through 21, um, you know, God makes Abraham all these promises, and, and, then, uh, and then Abraham is like, well, how am I going to know for sure that you're going to do this, Lord? And the Lord says, go get some animals, right? Go, go get some animals. I think it's like a, a lamb, a goat, you know, some birds. Just go get these animals. And Abraham, you know, there's, there's no context discussed, but Abraham knows exactly what to do, right? And what does he do? He goes, takes the animals, cuts them in half, because that's what you do, right? If God says, go get some animals, you go get the animals, you cut them in half, right? So he, he cuts the animals in half, kind of sets them out. The, the, the crows are coming down to try to eat them. He's, he's, he's getting the crows and, and the birds of the air away from them. And then God puts Abraham to sleep. Now, here's the context for this. This is what's interesting. What was understood in the culture at this time was that as a sign of covenant, what you would do, and this was not just the, the Hebrews, this was other nations around the Hebrews, what you would do is you would just chop up and mutilate these animals, right? And, and, and you'd put them on either side, you'd make kind of a lane or a road, and then you and the person that you were making a covenant with would walk between, right? Like you'd walk between these mutilated carcasses. And the idea was, if I don't keep my side of the promise, then may I end up as these animals over here, right? And if you don't, then may you end up butchered like these animals over here. So it was a very visceral way 
for these people to understand how serious it was, right? Like, if you mess up, then you're calling upon God to utterly destroy and dismember you. Does that make sense? The seriousness of it? So that was understood. So Abraham goes and it's like, okay, I know what we're going to do. We're going to cut these animals up, and then me and God are going to walk through it, right? And so what does God do? He puts Abraham to sleep, right? He puts Abraham to sleep. And, and this kind of horror and dread comes upon him and while he's asleep. And then all of a sudden he sees this, this light come down. It's like a smoking furnace type of a thing. And this glowing presence then goes and walks between the animals. But Abra- Abraham is left out of that. Interesting, right? God makes the covenant. And Abraham is asleep. So, so we get to see, and there's all kinds of moments like that in the scripture where you see God, God saying, okay, I'm going to do this, you do this, and then God coming in and actually fulfilling the role of the other partner in the covenant. Isn't that something? You think you may be saying something with that, prophesying something with that, right? Isn't it beautiful, man, when you read this Old Testament and God starts to show you these things where it's like, man, it's so beautifully prophetic, and perfectly prophetic of something that was going to come later. And so now, I'm going to take you straight from that, right, that example. And again, I'm going to kind of come to the end of, of this segment. But, but that's just one example of God, you know, doing this thing where it's like, yeah, Abraham, I've made these promises to you, and then I've confirmed them by walking through the process of covenant myself and leaving you out of it because I will do this thing that I've promised, and I will not break my promise, and I've actually made it bulletproof that you can't even break my promise because I made my promise and sealed it to myself. Y'all hear that? This is the Lord. This is his kindness. And so, uh, so now I'm going to fast forward, right? There's a lot more examples of covenant that we could get into, but I'm going to take you straight to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 through 29. So first book of the New Testament, Matthew 26, verses 26 through 29. Go ahead and put your eyes on it. And uh, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples at the Last Supper. And it says now, and this is, he's just about to go and, and be butchered on a cross, you understand? And he says, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant right, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So you see what Jesus is doing there, right? He's using this terminology that they would very well understand, right, of covenant language between God and man, and between man and man, and he is saying, hey, this bread is my body, and he breaks it, right, broken for you. This is my blood, right? And there's a feast, and there's a promise. He promises the forgiveness of sins, right? Like all these beautiful elements of covenant are right there with Jesus establishing a new covenant in which he is the sacrifice, right? The eternal sacrifice that fulfills 
all of our requirements. Amen? God was always pointing towards this, right? You think God didn't know that, that, that we couldn't do it? You know, he was always pointing towards this. And so this is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God has made a covenant with us, and he has sealed that covenant with his own death, which we should have died because we both personally and corporately have done nothing but fail to keep up our end of the covenant, and God says, I'm going to take care of it right? I'm going to go and absorb the punishment that you deserve, and I'm going to go and be disfigured on your behalf, and and I'm going to seal my covenant with myself for you. Now, that's good news, amen? I mean, that's really good news. If we can get that into our hearts and understand what God is actually doing with us and understand just how much you really contribute to the equation, it's freeing. God let us be free, right? We want to be free. All right, so moving back, we're going to finish up through, uh, through, through the passage. And it says, uh, so this is back to um, Genesis 6. Now we're in 19. And of every living thing of all flesh, talking to Noah, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female of the birds according to their kinds and of the animals according to their kinds and every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come in to you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. So again, another prophecy, right? Because now we've got the entire population of the world being saved through one man, right? Through one man. And it's saved through entering this ark, right? Which he built. So that think of the ark as a type for salvation, right? Think of that as a type, um, a shadow, a looking forward to, towards salvation and how that was going to work. And then 22, this is a beautiful verse, man. And it's so characteristic of, of Noah. It says, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. And let me tell you something, man. What you hear in that line, I hope, what I hope you hear is faith, right? Faith. Noah heard God. He believed the report, and the evidence was that he responded with obedience. Like, we try to, try to divide faith and obedience. Faith and obedience are two sides of the same coin. You really can't divide them, right? Like, he believed God. You know, it said Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. But, but, but you know, he sure did circumcise himself, <laughs> right? He didn't believe God in his mind and not circumcise himself, right? He believed God, right? And, and listen, beloved, we believe imperfectly and we obey imperfectly, right? Which is why we needed God to fulfill his side of the covenant for us, amen? But, but do we continue to to seek to live out and to act out the things which God has created us for? Yes, we do, right? Because why were you born and placed on this earth? To participate with God and to cultivate his goodness, right? That's why you weren't put here to earn God's favor. He already did that for you. Amen? Can't do it anyway. Preach it, bro. You'll get your chance. 
So this conclusion, my conclusion is, as we, uh, as we segue to the next portion of the, uh, uh, of the sermon today, God knew that we couldn't keep his covenant and always intended to keep it himself as an act of divine love and mercy. And so when all the smoke clears, like this gets really personal, right? This gets really personal in the moments where you just wake up feeling like, man, I'm really not cutting it in my life, right? Like, am I really a Christian? Because, man, I, I mess up a lot, right? Anybody relate with me on that? Anybody wake up with those feelings? You can walk with the Lord. I've been walking with the Lord for 24 years, y'all. And that's not even a drop in the bucket compared to some of y'all in here, but 24 years feel like a long time. And I still wake up sometimes and I feel like God's got a target on my back, right? And so what, what, I, want to, uh, what I want us to understand is that when the smoke clears, right, when it's all said and done, it's really not you holding on to him, Right? It's that he's holding on to you. That's what I want my soul to understand. That's what I want your soul to understand is when the smoke clears of all the good that you try to do and think you can do. And it's not like you shouldn't, right? It's not like we don't go out and seek to be all that God has created us to be. But there's a rest that comes when you know that when it's all said and done, it's not you. It's not you. And if you fail... Wasn't you, you know what I mean? It wasn't your successes that were keeping you in his grasp anyway. Amen, beloved. Do you hear me? We need to know this. We need to hear this. And so I'm going to go ahead and end with Romans 3.23. Um, and, uh, and then, Kim, you want to come on up? Romans 3.23, verse 30, says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How many? And are justified by his gift, his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith, this was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be, listen closely, just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus, right? Both sides of the equation, right? He is both just and righteous, to require obedience from his people, and then he is also the justifier who makes them righteous by his own actions. Blessed be his name. And so uh, my sister Kimberly now, uh, y'all know Kim. She uh, 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 directs the women's ministry and has a testimony to give that I feel like is very in line with just what I've broken down to you in her own experience, in her own life. And so I'm going to uh, have her share with you some of what's going, been going on in her life. And let me pray for you real quick. You. Uh, Lord God, I thank you for my dear sister who has been um, such a blessing in my life and the, and the lives of so many in this room. And I just pray that you would bless her and fill her mouth, Lord God, and, and that, that you would bless us through what you're doing in her life, Lord. We thank you for her in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, I thought I turned it on. In my mind, I thought I'd be seated, so, you know, that makes me feel more comfortable. It makes me feel more like conversation. I'll get your chair if you want. No, I, I can be brave. Okay. I can be brave. So if any of you know me, you know that I'm not a 10-minute speaker. I tend to go on and on, so Jesus is going to do a work this morning. 
And I want Praise you to know, <laughs> and I want you to know that uh, this has been a two-year process for me. We're going, coming up on two years of of a transforming period in my life. And um, there's three kinds of knowing. You know by learning, you hear, you understand, and you know something. You know by somebody else's experience. You listen, you hear, you learn and see what God has done in their life, and you, and you learn something. But then that third kind of knowing is the knowing by experience. And that, that knowing can never be taken from you. You'll never forget it. And that's the kind of knowing I'm going to share with you this morning. So here's the sentence I would use to describe the transformation God is doing. I, at one point, not too very long ago, would say to you, listen, friends, know this is true. You will find me by my Savior. And I believe that with all my soul. And there have been crises in my life, and it was true. You would find me by my Savior. But God would transform that belief in my life by bringing circumstances, both internal and external, that would break me to my core. And that's where I've been the last two years. He, he's, he, Help me, Jesus. Help me to explain. It's hard for me to articulate, right? When God does this thing in your life, and it's so powerful. I don't want you to just hear my words. I want you to feel them because I'm a passionate person, and I am a visual person, and so I'm going to take you there with me. So outside circumstances and inward circumstances, right, were crushing me, and I couldn't recognize myself anymore. I, I didn't know who I was because I was being so ground down. Does anybody know? Do you, I don't care if you, just raise your hand, make me feel better. Like you know this place, right? You know, like maybe you've tasted a little bit of this place where, where it is coming at you in every direction. And I did not respond in the way that I thought I should be responding. In the way that you would look at it and I would look at it and say, respond biblically, woman. Come now. You're the girl who says you will be by your Savior. Respond biblically. Come now. Do it. And I could not make myself do it. I could not make myself get there. And so I found myself, I even told my husband, I don't recognize who I am. And I surely do not like this girl. I see her and I don't like who she is. But God was doing a work. And all the outward circumstances and the inward turmoil that you may experience, understand that. Just a tool, just a tool in God's hand to transform us into the likeness of his son, right? To make us know by experience the truth of what he says in his word. And the women's ministry and I had studied covenant. I don't know, it's been like a couple years now, right? So we've studied covenant, and I and I and the, it's it's rich, it's deep, it's it's a thread throughout the Bible. I encourage you, if you have not studied covenant, study it. It'll change your life. It'll change your faith. It'll change the foundation you stand on. So God used these circumstances in my life to break me, 
to break me to the point where I thought I would never recover. I said, sir, this is how I am passionate, right, with God. If you would hear conversations between me and God, you would just be like, what is she, like, what is she doing? What is she talking about? Sir, you have pushed me too far. You have asked for too much, and I cannot go any further. Like, I, I am at my wit's end. And, and, and I am angry, and, and you hear my passion, but understand, this is a violent thing happening inside of me. It feels like violence. It feels like a storm. You know those storms that just come in, and it devastates everything around you? You know those storms? Maybe you've seen them on TV. Maybe you haven't experienced them. It just devastates everything around you. It's violence. There's anger. There's there's beseeching and crying and clawing, right? That's what it feels like until it came to this, just this culmination point where it was just too much from my point of view. And the storm inside of me was just, it's tornado, it's wind, it's, it's devastation and breaking. And at the climax I said, that's it, God, I am done with you. And I literally took my hands and shook them and opened them up. I said, I'm, I'm done. You and I are done. In one million years, I would have told you those words would have never come out of my mouth. Not in a million years. And in that moment, you know after a storm when it gets super quiet, it's eerily quiet, and there's just devastation all around you. That was the moment, and it's so quiet, and I'm in shock. I'm dismayed that I have told my Savior I'm done with him. In that very still, quiet place, The Lord said to me, Kimberly, that's not how this covenant works. And I knew what he was talking about because I just studied it, right? I knew. Here was a God who could take my utmost failure, the proclamation with my words to tell him I was done, and say, when you are faithless, I remain faithful. <laughs> what kind of God does that? And so there I was in my office, this heap of a girl, devastated and broken. And the Savior says to me, stand up, child stand up. And I don't know if you know the verse that talks about, and I wrote it down because I, Cammie's probably not wanting to be put on the spot as my verse girl, but I know I can't, can't see. Anyway, it's in the Bible, and you can, <laughs> and, and you can Google it, for goodness sake. Just Google it, where it says, thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession. 
Do you know what that means? There, there's a visual picture that goes before that. And we've talked about it here recently even, where the Lord takes his people and, and he leads them in triumph. It, was, it goes back to the old times. And, and one army beat the other army, and the one army that's the winner would come out and walk before the other army, right? The defeated army, right? And he just, we're winners like that. That's what Jesus said. He always leads us there. How, 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 how is this one of those places? And I watched him in my devastated heap stand me up with his hand and put me on display in front of all his enemies and say, see my daughter? See how she loves me. And that, to the Savior, was victory. You wouldn't have looked at me and said it was victory. I didn't look at me and say it was victory. But the Lord Jesus sure did stand up and move me in front of the enemy and say, see how she loves me. He changed me there. He changed, I, I can't even articulate how he changed me there. There's something deeper. There's something different. I love him in a new way, in a deeper way, in a way that's inexpressible. Because, listen, friends, I don't know what your circumstances are today. I don't know what your circumstances will be tomorrow. But understand this, his victory for you looks entirely different than what you think your victory looks like. Yeah, this is what he says. I'm about to be done. Yep. Psalm 37, 24 says this, though she stumble, she will not fall for the Lord upholds her with his right hand. Do you hear covenant? Do you hear covenant in that? My covenant relationship with Christ is not dependent on me. I am completely dependent on him for it to be successful and victorious. So this is how he transformed me. You will always find me by my Savior, friends, has been transformed too. She found her Savior is ever by her side. Isn't that so funny? Just a little twist, isn't it? Just a couple words moved around in the sentence. And it's so utterly profound. You will find, my friend, no matter where you are, your Savior is ever by your side. He has bound himself to us. And he says, when you are faithless, he is faithful because he cannot deny himself. He cannot deny himself. So covenant, there it is. There it is. There's a piece of it anyway, <laughs> not much. all of it. Appreciate you. Yeah. All right, worship team, come on up. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray for us. Uh, Lord Jesus, man, I just thank you for that precious, precious word. And I know that it came at a great cost. And so I pray that you would both bless uh, my sister as she continues to walk with you, Lord God, and the amazing things that you're doing in her life.
And I pray for us, Lord, that, that we may continue to taste and see the way that you love us. It's far more than we actually imagined it to be. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. amen. So we're going to uh, continue with, uh, with our response time. Uh, I, I want to I give the offer to anybody in the room that does not know Jesus Christ, that has not entered into this covenant with the God who created you for a purpose, and you might be feeling uh, something going on in your heart, you might be feeling a call or some sort of a movement, and I would encourage you, if that's happening in anybody in this room, man, woman, or child, right, don't quench it. Don't push it off. Don't neglect it. You act on that because today is the day of salvation. Amen? And it's a beautiful thing when you get to realize that that God who is that mighty and that loving and that powerful to keep you to the end is offering you eternal life through his son, Jesus, and through the slaughter that happened that should have been you. I'd like to give a call to repentance, you know, for anybody who, um, who, who was pricked by something that was said here today, for anybody who has sin in your life that comes up before you and, and, and that, that may even tell you, right, the whispers that you hear are you're not worthy to be in this covenant or because you failed this covenant that, uh, that you're somehow um, disqualified from this inheritance. And, and I'm going to tell you, beloved, God shows us our sin not to just make us a guilty mess. He shows us our sin to repent and then to remember that the price was paid for you in full when Jesus was crucified and torn apart. You hear that? So repentance, right? Repentance is his mercy. Um, a call to giving, you know. Uh, we, we've got the uh, giving baskets to the left and to the right for anybody who, uh, who wants to give. And again, it's not by compulsion, right? It's not by compulsion. This is, again, your participation with, right? Your act of faith in participating with the good things that God are doing, that God is doing through this church in ministry many places far and wide. I want to call to remembrance. So we've got the communion. And I, I just got to, got to break down for y'all today. Like that, taking the bread and taking the wine, well, the juice, is your, it's an observation and a remembrance of covenant, right? The covenant that was forged by Jesus' blood on your behalf. And then finally, as always, y'all know, I, I am just crazy about prayer, right? Like the reason that I'm always saying, like, come up, get prayer. I don't care if it's a big or a small thing. I don't care if you're a man or woman or a child. Come and get prayer. Why? Because I believe that prayer is powerful, right? God responds to prayer. And so, so often there's things in our lives where we think that is impossible. Like that, that thing, there's a lot of things that, that I can do something about, but there's that one thing, like that's just never going to change. It's like, man, we got to keep bringing those things to Jesus, right? Those areas where we're even most hesitant are the areas that most need prayer because God does impossible things through prayer, amen? He really does. Like, I've seen it. Who here has seen God do impossible things, unlikely things? So why would we neglect to come and to partake in petitioning our Father with brothers and sisters in the assembly 
um, for his favor and for his blessing and for his intervention, right? Um, and so I also want to say there will, there will be someone from the women's ministry standing over here to help you and to, and to bless you if you prefer to play, pray with the women. Um, and let me go ahead and pray, and we're going to continue to worship. Lord God, I thank you for everybody here. I thank you, Lord God, for these sons and daughters, these sons and daughters that you love and that you actually see as sons and daughters. You don't, you don't see them as workers, employees that are getting some sort of a wage for what they do for you. You see a room full of sons and daughters, Lord. And I pray, Father, that, 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 that like um, the, the prodigal son, we might see and be exposed to the fact that that father loves us with a love that is more lavish than we could have imagined or deserved. And that you drive that a little deeper in all of us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.